0: Please open your Bibles with me to the epistle to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Last week, we concluded our look at chapter 12, rejoicing that it is by God's power in Christ that he grants his people grace, whereby they may serve God. How do we serve a God who is a consuming fire with reverence and fear? We do it, beloved, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking only to him whose joy it was to endure the bloody cross, to present you, believing sinner, through the merits of his blood and righteousness, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This evening, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but seek one to to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you, the rather, to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen and i beseech you brethren suffer the word of exhortation for i have written a little for i have written a letter unto you in few words know ye that our brother timothy is set at liberty with whom if he come shortly i will see you Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. If we are to understand this book, not just the epistle that we've been studying, but God's Word, the Bible, if we are to understand this book, we must be made to understand as The Holy Spirit tells us, not once, but twice, we must understand it according to the Scriptures. And if you have not already heard, our Sovereign Lord speaks decidedly upon the subject, telling us plainly, both in word and deed, again and again, the Scriptures are they which testify of me. Do you want to understand this book? You must come to him who is the way, the truth, and the life understanding it in the light He gives to His people according to the Scriptures, according to Christ, according to the Gospel of God. Beloved, because He has come and dwells in your hearts by faith, He has given to us to understand all things. Many there be who interpret God's Word without the key to knowledge, and if you have not come To know this, let me tell you plainly that Christ is that key. Indeed, he is the key that opens all the knowledge contained in God's word. Not in part, but Christ in all things. Our Lord declares to those who trust in the law to save themselves and to teach others likewise, Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Rather than set forth the truth of Christ before men, these false teachers take him away. Being unlearned, unstabled, indeed being untaught of the Lord, without a saving view of Christ, they rest, indeed they pervert God's word to their own destruction. Listen to the Jehovah's false witness, quote, Our Lord saying, Why call thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And the false Jehovah's witness boasts that it is the Lord's own testimony that he is not God and does not receive Christ according to his own blessed instruction. Our Lord has commanded his people not to teach some things, but all things. He declares, in the last chapter of Matthew, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If the Jehovah's... False witness, had our Lord as their God, they would faithfully declare, just as surely as Philip heard it from the lips of our Lord, he who has seen me has seen the Father. According to the scriptures, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, our Redeemer and blessed Savior is our Lord and God. Jesus Christ is Jehovah, manifest in the flesh. God's people call him By the undeserved, unmerited grace, he gives them wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And as we have been reminded just recently in reading chapter 13 of Hebrews, the apostle indeed calls our heavenly father, the God of peace, who indeed has given us his son, the prince of peace. Now, just as men who have not Christ pervert one part of God's word to their own destruction, so too they may do it just as well with any other part of God's word or teaching of Christ. Followed by God's grace, you hear with the ears of faith so very plainly and simply that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and God, hearing all the more blessedly, not merely the warning But the blessed conclusion concerning his people. For he says to the unbelieving Jews, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. We may therefore most blessedly conclude, beloved, those who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is I am, indeed Jehovah manifest in the flesh, Therefore, God's people shall not die in their sins, but rather live everlastingly, being found in the linen white righteousness of the saints, which is the righteousness of Christ. Indeed, God our righteousness. In our portion in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, we read, We have an altar, wherefore they have no right to eat. Which serve the tabernacle. Now, there is a form of false religion that maintains that priests, altars, and sacrifices remain today. They love to pretend that their so called ministers of Christ are sin atoning priests and turn the remembrance of the Lord's Supper into a propitiatory sacrifice and pretend that the Lord's table is an altar a divine service. And to support their vain claim, they will use this very verse. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now to say such a thing, that the altar that Paul is speaking of has anything to do with the table in front of this pulpit, is to pervert the verse and to teach not according to this blessed epistle indeed not to teach according to the Scriptures. The Apostle in the book of Hebrews, and indeed throughout the Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, declares most emphatically that at the death of Christ, all human priesthoods of expiation, all atoning sacrifices for sin, all altars of propitiation has forever been put to an end. By the once for all sacrifice of our blessed Redeemer. So, if the altar Paul alludes to is not referring to any earthly altar, what exactly is Paul referring to when he says, We have an altar, beloved? Now, before we enter into a direct consideration of the verse, let us bring to mind the special purpose of an altar and what was represented by the eating of the altar. The first purpose of the altar was to sanctify the gift, or the offering. And the second purpose of the altar was to endure the flames and the burning of that gift. To sanctify the gift, whether it be a a lamb, a ram, a bullock, even though the animal was physically perfect, without blemish, without spot, If it were to be offered anywhere other than at Jehovah's altar, it was an abomination to the Lord. But brought to the Lord's altar, what it pictured, what it typified, was the Lord's expiation being received and accepted, his once and for all sacrifice on behalf of his people. It was an odor of a sweet smell acceptable to the Lord. Now the Lord made it clear that the altar was greater than the gift. He said to the Pharisees, who made up a law concerning swearing an oath, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? And in another place, God, is, God said to his servant Moses, Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar. And sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. The other purpose of the altar was to endure the flames and the burning. The altar was made of material such as stone or brass to uphold wood where the victim was to be placed or the offering, the gift. We read of Elijah, that on Mount Carmel, that he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. And elsewhere in Exodus, we read further that the altar, with its wooden framework, should be overlaid with brass, and that the part of it where the wood was to be ordered and where the flames would be most intense, a grate or a network of solid brass was to be made. And so the purpose of the altar was twofold. First, to sanctify the gift, and second, to endure the flame. Now, let us trace the picture that we might trace it with a view to the reality. Follow that victim in your mind, the lamb or the bullock, as it is led to the altar, brought near to that sanctifying altar, and the hand of the offerer, the worshiper, is placed upon its head. And to that head is transferred the sin for which the worshiper seeks atonement. The victim is slain. The animal's blood, which is but a shadow and picture of the reality of Christ's sin-atoning blood, is sprinkled upon the altar. The carcass is prepared, and the largest portion of it is laid upon the wood. The fuel is kindled, and the smoke which ascends on high is ever so blessedly described in God's word as a savor of rest. We read that Noah built an alt- altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. That word sweet in the original language has for its meaning rest or restful. How fitting it should be called a savor of rest. It pictures the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished propitious work. Beloved to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And indeed, it is a savor of rest. Now, a portion of the sacrifice was not consumed upon the altar, why was a portion left? It was reserved for the sustenance, the maintaining of the life of Aaron and his sons who minister at the altar. We read in the Old Testament that this portion shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give it unto priests, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw, which I understand is uh, the first stomach. God sets forth by his servant Paul that the same temporal care be established for the minister of the gospel and that they should live of the things of the temple. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, "'Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple?' and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar now i have remarked on all this so that we might have in view or indeed in to keep in mind what the apostle himself was thinking upon as he penned the words in our text he paints for us a picture of one who is in the courts of the temple at jerusalem surrounded by the disciples of the lord He stands near the great brass altar. The victim has been slain. Atonement has been made. The priests and their families draw near to take their portion. And in this, we may hear what the apostle is saying to us in our text. We, and he writes this to his Christian brethren, both the believing Jew and the believing Gentile, those who are around this blessed altar, we have, we who have believed in Christ have our sacrifice and our altar, and we share that sacrifice and partake of that altar. And to us, it communicates in us. It sustains, and that sustaining is not by any temporal or dying animal. For he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our sacrifice, our sacrificer, and our altar is the bread of life, And he that eateth of it shall live forever. But mark it well, they have no right to eat thereof who serve the tabernacle. That is to say, law and gospel are incompatible. They that look to Moses' law for salvation shut themselves hopelessly out from the salvation that is in Christ. Now when Paul declares we have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. To what altar is our brother boasting? Is it the table of the Lord? No, beloved. The altar we have is the Lord himself. For he having once for all in the fullness of time by his one sacrifice given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice unto God. Now most plain it is, Our altar is not the table of the Lord. And that for the following reasons. First, because nowhere in God's word is the Lord's Supper referred to as being an altar. Nowhere in God's word is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper ever referred to as an altar. It is called the table of the Lord or the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper. Second, If one were to pervert the meaning of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, and suggest that today, in these last days, there remains an altar for sacrifices, that would contradict what Paul has written in the previous 12 chapters. All through this blessed epistle, Paul has been using words that correlate with, with one another, such as altar, priest, and sacrifice. And if we dare call that table in front of the pulpit an altar, then by implication we make what is laid upon it a sacrifice, and further those who administer it priests. The man or woman taught of God would never want to approach such a pretentious abomination. Why would any blood-bought believer ever look to that table as an altar? and trample underfoot the Son of God and count the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, that the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ was insufficient and that it required another sacrifice. The believer, the sinner taught of God, by God's grace in Christ, never approaches again the beggarly elements found in Judaism and Roman Catholicism and would certainly not receive that verse we're looking at this evening, that it is referring to an earthly altar and contradict everything the Spirit of God sets forth in the preceding 12 chapters. And there is a third reason, a third reason why the altar that Paul mentions could not be an earthly earthly one, and it is this. Earthly altars altars that are but a shadow of the true altar of heaven are in no way fit to offer up the body of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Romanists, in that hideous, blasphemous ritual they call the Mass, say that they have laid upon their filthy tables the very body of Christ himself. Well, go ahead. Try to construct a table meet for his precious body, Make it of the most costly materials you can find on this fallen world. Make it a table of pure gold. Can such a table be said to sanctify such a sacrifice as the body of Christ? By no means will the body of Christ be sanctified by the pavement of heaven. The sacrifice of Christ must be sanctified, and no earthly altar or, for that matter, table could ever be meat for such a blessed, precious thing as the body of Christ. Even some dare say that Calvary's cross is the altar to which Paul refers to. But this can never be. For that cross, that cursed tree, neither sanctified the gift nor endured the flame, for it could do neither. Being a curse, it could not sanctify the sacrifice of Christ, And further, how could it be said of that wooden tree that it endured the flames of divine wrath that engulfed the sinner's substitute? Beloved, it was not the cross that drank the full cup of the wrath of God. Rather, our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, drank the full cup of the wrath of God. And when he had supped the last drop, he cried out, It is finished. While Calvary's cross was the knife to slay the divine Isaac, indeed it was God's instrument of death. But we must look elsewhere for an altar that sanctified the gift and the offering of the Lamb of God. Such an offering was of immeasurable value. An offering of such worth must be laid upon an altar meet to the burden laid upon it. Where shall we find such an altar meet for the sacrifice of the Lord? Only in Christ, in Him, who declares, If ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Beloved Jesus Christ, the Lord, is our priest, our sacrifice, and the very altar where He sacrifices Himself to put away our sins. It is upon the altar of His deity, His being our Lord and God. Indeed, Christ is our all and in all. He is our priest, sacrifice. And ever so blessedly, Paul tells us, in Christ, we have an altar. And we rejoice not in an oft-repeated sacrifice, but rather in the past, final, and finished sacrifice of the death of Christ. Of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, as the Apostle tells us, through which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Beloved, our one priest, by his one offering and sacrifice, sanctified by the one altar, his deity, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, who may eat of this altar? That is, who may rightfully, by the merits of Christ's life and death, expect to receive the promises it testifies to? Our Lord declares, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, the verse we've been considering this evening, Paul writes, I'll I'll repeat it again, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, we may understand the words of the apostle in both a negative way and a positive way. Negatively, he says, they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. That is to say, they who actually or figuratively turn again to the weak and beggarly elements Of the Old Testament priesthood, with its priests, altars, and sacrifices, shut themselves out from all the blessings of the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, Paul puts it this way regarding those who endeavor to be justified by the law. He says of them, Christ is become of no effect unto you, and that they are fallen from grace. Now, the apostle, with respect to God's people, is not saying that they could fall from any inward saving work wrought in their hearts by God's grace, but that God's people can for a time fall from their adherence to the gospel of Christ. For Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Indeed, as the psalmist puts it, Christ is the marrow and the fatness of their salvation. For, beloved, our salvation is by grace alone to the praise of God alone. Law and gospel, works and faith, are absolutely incompatible, just like oil and water. They don't mix. Robert Hawker writes, and I I came upon this portion as I was studying for this this chapter here. I, I like very much, I love what, Hawker writes, I can identify with what he's written. He writes, The child of God who dares in such a day as the present, and I I believe our brother's words are just as applicable today as when he wrote them. He he writes, The child of God who dares in such a day as the present amidst a Christ-despising generation openly to avow that he is looking wholly to Christ and that he makes Christ his all for life and salvation, must sacrifice both name and reputation and sometimes many earthly comforts besides in the connections and relationships of natural life. And from no class whatever will he find greater bitterness manifested than from modern Pharisees who profess to honor Christ as well as he and giving him the glory of the procuring cause of salvation, but contend that what Christ had done and suffered is not a finished salvation, but that our sincere repentance and obedience and faith may, on Christ's account, be accepted of God. Alas, did those men but seriously consider how wretched are the best, how, how wretched at the best are all the performances of the creature such as we are, they would discover what a flimsy thing the sincerity and obedience and repentance, yea, faith itself, considered as an act of ours, must be to trust in when going in before God. And he concludes, Wretched indeed would be my guilty soul if an atom of mine became necessary For acceptance in that solemn hour. (laughs) I'm so thankful, beloved, that salvation is of the Lord. Now let us consider what Paul is saying in the positive. The apostle writes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, positively, Paul is saying to you, beloved, we have an altar. Beloved, in Christ we are all priests. Every believing man, every believing woman, every believing child, every sinner who is believing on his name, as the apostle put it earlier, speaking of God's people in chapter 12, we shall run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Beloved, Come forth to him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Look unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Does it seem strange to you that we should be addressed as priests? The Holy Spirit would have you to know, beloved, by his servant Peter, that in Christ ye are an holy priesthood. The Holy Spirit says to the strangers scattered throughout the land. There's strangers here in New (laughs) Caney. Pilgrims in this world, we seek a city that's not here, but above beloved. The Holy Spirit says to the strangers scattered throughout the land, Those who had been born again by the word of God, those who were exhorted to abstain from fleshly lusts, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Beloved, you who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, indeed the light of Christ, you have a right to eat of the altar of Christ. And eating and drinking indeed, partaking of him, you shall never hunger or thirst again. Our Lord declares, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now our Lord is not speaking to the ordinance of his supper. Rather, he is speaking to our spiritual union with him and that through his finished saving work He imparts to everyone that believeth on him all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in himself, indeed in Christ. Beloved, we have an altar, and that a precious one indeed, for it is Christ himself. For it was on this altar, the altar of his deity, that our Lord Jesus offered himself to our heavenly Father through the eternal Spirit, offering himself without spot, to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God of a truth, beloved. He has by himself, upon the altar of his deity, by the sacrifice of himself, purged our sins and is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Now, before I call uh, Brother James up here to select a, a chorus to sing and and conclude our time together in a word of prayer. Uh, I thought I would read this. I came across this account um, of of some martyrs. I don't think their names are important. But it was on this very uh, point that um, Bloody Mary, which was uh, the, the queen in England in 1555, she was uh, wanting uh, some ministers to um, confess an agreement with the Roman Catholic Church that the altar was not the altar of Christ's deity, but this table. I'll just read this here. It's uh, fitting. Uh, Paul talks about the uh, being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, We have uh, a lot to be thankful for, that we have religious freedom in this country. We have God's word in our hand. I think that's enough of a preamble, don't you think? (laughs) When Ridley was asked if he believed the Pope was heir to the authority of Peter as the foundation of the church, he replied that the church was not built on any man but on the truth Peter confessed, that Christ was the Son of God. Ridley said he could not honor the Pope in Rome since the papacy was seeking its own glory, not the glory of God. Neither Ridley nor Latimer could accept the Roman Catholic Mass as a sacrifice of Christ. Latimer told the commissioners, Christ made one offering and sacrifice for, for the sins of his people. He writes the whole world. I don't have this man in front of me to speak to him about whether he thought that Christ died for all men without distinction. I'll just leave that aside. And that a perfect sacrifice. Neither needeth there to be, nor can there be, any other propitiatory sacrifice. These opinions were deeply offensive to Roman Catholic theologians Both Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake in Oxford on this day, October 16th, 1555. Um, It might be because of this event that uh, our particular Baptist brother John Gill could even speak to someone of the Anglican Church during his time alive. And I continue from that part here. As he was being tied to the stake, Ridley prayed, O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee, even unto death. I beseech thee, Lord God, have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. Ridley's brother had brought some gunpowder for the men to place around their necks so death could come more quickly. But Ridley still suffered greatly, With a loud voice, Ridley cried, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. I believe Ridley was reminded that there was only one man that could do that. I don't know if what happened following was just an admonition, perhaps, of the Lord. But the wood was green and burned only Ridley's lower parts without touching his upper body. He was heard to repeatedly call out, Lord, have mercy upon me, I cannot burn. Let the fire come unto me, I cannot burn. One of the bystanders finally brought the flames to the top of the prior to hasten Ridley's death. Latimer died much more quickly as the flames quickly rose. Latimer encouraged Ridley, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust, never shall be put out. Um, there's an interesting subject, that history. Uh, there's two views of uh, Baptist history. One is that we can trace our lineage right back to John the Baptist. And there's a continuous church that never was polluted by anything Unfaithful to the gospel, that God has always supplied his faithful ministers to all generations. these men sadly were in this other branch of history <laughs> where they were constantly uh, persecuted and some even unto death for believing the very gospel we believe. but that's history. Uh, the gospel is for you, beloved, for everyone here believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen.
1: Take your course book and turn to number six.
2: in the three are gathered in my name, together in my name, there I am. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there
1: Thankful, Lord, tonight that you presented us here tonight, Lord, to to worship Thee. We're thankful, Lord, for Your grace that You pour out upon us each day of our lives, that You've directed our steps toward You, Lord. You've broken these hearts and caused us to bow before You. To be thankful, Lord, that the salvation is of christ and him only lord we are thankful for for your love toward us your mercy your grace again lord we're thankful for the spiritual food that you provide each day of our lives and as well as the physical lord you provide all our needs the means to be to, to be here tonight lord and the means to take us back home to provide all that, Lord. We're thankful for this this place, Lord, that we worship, that you did direct men to, to build these buildings, Lord, and put us here. We're thankful for this day. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our, our faith, Lord, Give us the grace, Lord, to turn upon you, Lord, and look to you for all our needs and our salvation and never turn away from you. We pray for your, your mercy, Lord, tonight, and give us traveling mercy back home. We're thankful for your servant, Brother Joseph Murphy, that you've directed his steps here tonight, Lord. We pray this in your name with thanksgiving. Amen.